We thank you, Father, in the precious and holy name of Jesus for utterance in the Holy Spirit that I might speak those things which are needful for the people to hear. But more importantly, Father, that they would hear from the Holy Ghost himself concerning things that pertain to their life. We thank you, Father, for conforming us more and more to the image of Jesus through the Word and by the Holy Spirit. We thank you for utterance today. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. You may be seated. I'll invite you to turn your Bibles this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. The church at Corinth was a church that was greatly affected by the spirit of the world. They were a, a, a carnal church, according to Paul's testimony when he wrote to them. And as such, he said that he couldn't share with them some of the things that were needful and helpful for them to know. He said, even as Jesus said to his disciples on several occasions, he had many things to say to them, but they couldn't bear them or they wouldn't be able to receive them or accept them. And in the midst of this worldly church at Corinth, one of the things that Paul identified as being the most serious and the most concerning were the factions that were among the people, among the congregation. Now these factions were divided by their attitude towards certain teachers. Some were saying that Paul is the one they followed. Others were saying that they followed Peter. Others were saying that they followed Apollos. And Paul, in writing to the church about these things, shares some truth with them that it's important for us to see as well. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6, Paul said, I have planted and Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. Now, the difference between planting and watering, Apollos taught the word just like Paul did. He was a, a second-hand follower of Paul. He learned the truth from Aquila and Priscilla, who Paul had spent a lot of time with and taught his doctrine to them and so forth. And so when Paul talks about he being the one that planted and Apollos being the one that watered, they're planting and watering with the same thing. See, the first time you hear the truth of the word is planting. But every time after that that you hear the truth of the word, that's watering. You may remember that Jesus spent a good period of time talking to his disciples in Mark chapter 4 and other places about how the word of God is like planting seed in the ground. And he talked about some of the different types of ground in Mark chapter 4. And he identified that it was the care that that seed was given, whether or not it was watered, whether or not it was taken care of once it was planted, that made the difference in the results that people received. So Paul said, I have planted and Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither is he that watereth, but God that gives the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one. And every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are laborers together with God. You are God's husbandry. You are God's building. Now the word husbandry means tillage or, or 
garden. It's a farming word. And the Bible is indicating, Paul is indicating to us that we are always constantly in the middle of a growth process. I think it's important for us to recognize certain things along this line or in this regard. Because a lot of times, the first time we hear a subject, we'll think, oh, that's great. And we'll get excited about the, the, the truth of the word that, that we hear. But a lot of times, people aren't as interested to hear it again and again and again. But that's the very thing that waters the seed and bring forth, brings forth results. Brother Hagin would oftentimes use these scriptures to preface a series that he was going to teach most often on faith or confession or something along that line. And it's amazing how often or how many, in many situations, people think that they've heard. But faith doesn't come by having heard. Faith comes by hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing. Paul said this writing to the Romans. He said, if any man thinks he knows something, he doesn't know anything like he ought to know. So the attitude that we take towards some of the things that we've heard again and again and again are really going to make the most difference in our lives. It'll make the difference as to whether or not our eyes are open to the truth or if it's just words. Now in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6, the Holy Spirit is telling us the importance of the subject of faith. Hebrews eleven six says, but without faith it's impossible to please him. Can you think of any other place in the scripture where it tells us that it's impossible to please God without something other than this? We know God wants us to walk in love. We know that's the, new, the commandment of the new covenant. But the Bible doesn't say, as true as it might be, the Bible doesn't say, but without love, it's impossible to please him. But it does say that about faith. But without faith, it's impossible to please God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Now, what does that mean? Must believe that he is. Well, how do we know or how do we find out what's their source of information about who God is. There's only one way you can know the Lord, and that's through the Word. That's the only way. So if we must believe that He is, that presupposes a foundation of having heard or knowing from the Scripture who God says He is, who He reveals Himself to be. But right along with that, not only do we have to or are we expected to believe that he is who the word says he is, we must also believe that he's a rewarder of those of us who diligently seek him. You know, nothing works very well unless you're diligent at it. I'm not just talking about spiritual things, although that's certainly true. But that's pretty well true in every other area of life. The Bible says the hand of the diligent makes rich. We'd like it to be the hand of the lottery winner makes rich. 
But without faith, it's impossible to please him. Turn with me to John chapter 15, please. I'm going to start in verse 1. Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purges it. The word purge means to clean. That it may bring forth fruit. Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. The word purge is the same word clean in verse 3. Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine. No more can you except you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him. The same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, literally apart from me, you can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. And men gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. So shall you be my disciples. Now, folks, if it's impossible to please God without faith, and John's telling us by the Holy Ghost the importance of abiding in him, that definition requires us to accept that we must always be exercising our faith towards something. It seems to me that a lot of people use the subject of faith or the operation of faith like a spare tire. Nobody really checks on the spare tire much until you need it. And I think that's the way a lot of people approach this thing called faith. Now, we know the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8 that without faith, uh, I'm sorry, it says, but you are saved by grace through faith, and that not of yourselves, lest any man should boast. So we know faith is necessary for salvation. We know that faith is necessary to bring us into the family of God. But a lot of people stop right there. A lot of people stop according to their definition of salvation. And they define that as forgiveness of sins. But the word salvation or the words that are used for salvation throughout the New Testament mean a lot more than that. It means to rescue. It means to deliver. It means to make safe. It means to make sound. It means to make whole or to heal. That's the definition of the Bible word for salvation. And so, if we apply faith, this subject of faith, or limit it to just the forgiveness of sins, then how is it that we can possibly be pleasing unto him? We see here in John chapter 15, verses 7 and 8 particularly, if you abide in me and my word abides in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit, and so shall you be my disciples. Folks, you've got to be exercising your faith towards something all the time. That's the only way for the Word to abide in you. You remember in Joshua chapter 1 and verse 8, God told Joshua, as he was taking over as the leader of the children of Israel, following Moses, which would be a pretty tough thing to do. God told Joshua the key was to meditate in the word. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, 
but thou shalt meditate therein day and night that thou mayest observe to do all that's written therein. For then, through your relationship and through your maintaining of the word, for then thou shalt make thy way prosperous and thou shalt have good success. What are you extending your faith for? What are you using your faith for every day? We should be constantly growing in faith. We should be constantly operating in this thing called faith, which is just simply trusting God, accepting his word to be true. I spent a lot of time with Brother Hagen up close and personal. I worked with him for several years in, uh, in crusades and services and, and so forth and loved every minute of it. There were things that I heard him preach hundreds of times. And I thank God for every one of those. Because every one, even though I might have sometimes thought, here we go again. The result of that word watered and watered and watered. Made a tremendous impact on my life. Probably the greatest impact on my life of anything else. But there were times where I heard Brother Hagin talk about the, the private things, the less public aspects. One of the things that really shocked me, I'd been with him for several years already. He talk, started talking one evening after the service, just a group of, uh, of us that made up the crew. Somehow or another, he got to talking about after he was healed. And the way the devil came back to reattack him. And I'd never heard that. I had never heard him share that. He did share it one time in one place publicly, but that's the only time that I know of. And that was here in Los Angeles uh, in the crusade that he held at Fred Price's church, Christian, uh, Crenshaw Christian Center. And he said this he said, after he was healed, and for those of you that don't know the testimony, his testimony of healing, let me run through it real quick. He had a deformed heart, a blood disease, and a couple other ailments, all of which were life-threatening. And he learned just through the word, reading the word on his own and by being instructed by the Holy Ghost, he learned how to take hold of his healing. He had become bedfast and stayed bedfast for about 16 months at age 16. And he came to the place where somehow, and he, he wasn't able to describe it any better than this, but it would take his condition, paralysis, uh, in, the, in the way that he was attacked. He got to Mark chapter 11 in those beautiful verses in, beginning in verse 22. Have faith in God, Jesus said, for verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Jesus went on in verse 24, Therefore I say unto you, what things you, whatsoever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. He said the first time he read those verses, instantly on the inside of him, he knew that was the answer. He said, I just knew it. He tried to get people around him 
to help him out, but they didn't know anything about those verses. They didn't know anything about this thing called faith. They didn't know how to apply it or help him to apply it in their lives. And he came to the place where after 16 months being bedfast, wasted away to almost nothing, he came to the place where he realized by the direction of the Holy Ghost, he realized that he had to believe that he received his healing before he saw any results. He said before that, there were hundreds of times where he would pray and and say, I believe I received my healing, and then start checking his heart, checking his circumstances and, and the symptoms. He said there were a lot of times where he cried all night long because he couldn't see the answer. But he came to the realization of what believing you receive before or when you pray before you have it really meant and at that moment when he declared that he believed he received his healing the Lord told him to get out well he was paralyzed partially paralyzed at least and so with great effort he swung his legs out of the bed and grabbed hold of the the, uh, headboard that he had And started sliding down into the floor. And he made his confession again the second time. He said in the presence of the angels. God himself. And the devil. Whatever his forces might be. I believe I received my healing. Brother Hagin said at that moment. There was something that hit him in the top of the head. That felt like warm honey. He said it began to ooze down his body. Over his face down under his shoulders through the bottom of his feet and legs and he said when it finally reached the bottom of my feet I was standing perfectly whole well that's a wonderful testimony of healing it's a thrilling testimony but a lot of times people will stop right there and just assume and I did I made this mistake even after I had been working for him for several years. I assumed that that was it. That was the end of any problems he had relative to sickness and disease. But Brother Hagin, again on this one occasion privately and another one publicly, only one more publicly, he talked about how the the devil came back with a counterattack. I'd never heard that. I had never been made aware of it until that time. He said that the symptoms came back on him. The heart symptoms, the irregular heartbeat, the weakness and everything that he had been healed of came back on him until it was almost as bad as it was in the beginning. Now some people would hear this or hear stories like this And they'll say, well, see, God didn't really heal him after all. Well, how does a paralyzed kid get up if God hadn't healed him? See, the devil always wants to minimize what God's already done. Especially when he's trying to steal what God's done for you. So Brother Hagin had some real difficulty. He was going through the motions. He was going to school. He had come back to high school. But the principal of his high school called him in one day and said, 
This was just really a short time after he had come back to school. And he said all the teachers, particularly the lady teachers in whose class you're in, classes you're in, they're scared to death you're going to fall dead in their class. And Brother Hagin said he looked the very picture of death. He could understand why they would think that. And the principal said, we want you to know that you can do anything you want to do. If you don't feel like coming to class and you want to go outside or you need to take a break for some reason, he said, you don't have to ask anybody anything. You just do whatever you want to do. Brother Hagen said that the school that he was in had three stories. There was a, uh, and the classes were scattered out. His classes were scattered out through the building. So he's climbing steps much of the day. And so the principal said, if that's too tough for you, don't go. And Brother Hagen said this. He said, through this, the devil tried to make it real easy for me to miss God. They gave him permission to miss God without having to have anybody else's approval. And he said he got to the point where I started talking to the Lord about it. He didn't understand. He was healed with just a glimmer of light, like coming through a keyhole. There were a lot of scriptures that he didn't know that were in there that became commonplace for us that we might be able to hear this story and say, well, here's what you ought to do about that. But he didn't know. And he said he began to talk to the Lord about it, and the Lord didn't say anything to him. Didn't answer him at all. And so he said, I knew the word was the answer. It's what had brought me healing to begin with. So I began to think back, what did I do when I was healed? What am I doing differently now than when I received my healing? He said, like a flash of light, I saw it. He said, to be healed, I began saying about my body things that my physical circumstances didn't agree with. And he said, I realized that when people would ask me, how are you doing? How are you feeling? I was answering them according to how I really felt. Well, he was bolstered by the confidence of having found the answer. So there were some places that he knew that people always asked him how he's doing and how he feels. So he went out of his way toward those people. And he asked them, how are you doing today? Of course, everybody answers and then asks you out of courtesy the same thing. He, that's what he's lying in wait for. So as soon as they would ask him, how are you doing? Oftentimes they'd follow it up and say, you look like you're so tired you're about to fall over. And Brother Hagin said, that's how I felt. He said, but when they asked, how are you doing? Is your heart giving you any more trouble? He began to answer, I'm well, thank you. He said there was one situation where he was in a store. There was a family that, uh, that owned the store and lived up above it in a little apartment. And this person was very much a people person, very much a talker. 
And so he went by that store. And he asked, how are you doing? They asked back. And he said, I'm doing well. And they answered, let me get my son to take you home. You look like you're about to fall over. And he said, no, that's okay. I'd rather walk. According to the word, I'm healed. Brother Hagin said it was a long walk. But by the time he got home, all of his strength had been restored. Everything that he had lost by looking at and talking about the symptoms had disappeared. And that became his pattern for the way he lived his life from that point forward. What does it mean for the word to abide in you? What does it mean for you to abide in Jesus? Folks, you can't abide in Jesus apart from his word because he is the word made flesh. He is the word made flesh. Now turn with me over to Mark chapter 11. I know we've already quoted it, but let's look at it for ourselves. Let's get the story in context and begin with verse 12. And on the morrow when they were come from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing a fig tree afar off, having leaves, he came, if haply he might find anything thereon. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for the time of figs was not. The translation is a little tough for us there, but it's revealing to us that when fig trees produce leaves, they produce fruit at the same time. And that's why he expected there to be fruit on this tree, because the leaves were a signal or a sign that it was the time of year, the season for the tree to bear fruit. But there weren't any figs on it. And so Jesus answered and said unto it, Please notice the word answered. Jesus recognized that the condition of the fig tree relative to what he expected and desired to receive from that fig tree was speaking to him. See, every circumstance in your life that doesn't line up with what the Bible says is yours is speaking to you. It's making a claim It's interacting with you. And it's identifying this is the way things are. But Jesus answered and said, no, that's not the way things are going to be. Jesus answered and said, no man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. And his disciples heard him. Skip down with me to verse 20. And in the morning as they pass by, they come by the same place, same tree, same location. And in the morning as they pass by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. Now, folks, if you had taken a chainsaw to the fig tree, at least the leaves would still be green. But something attacked this tree from a much greater, much more important source. So the fig tree was dried up from the roots, and Peter, calling to remembrance, said unto him, Master, behold, the fig tree which thou cursest is withered away. And Jesus answering said unto them, 
Have faith in God. Other translations relate this, have the faith of God. Somebody coined the phrase, the God kind of faith. Well, if it's the faith of God, it would have to be the God kind of faith, wouldn't it? What else could it be? So Jesus said, answering, said unto them, have faith in God or have the faith of God. Jesus recognizes the, the question, the, unan- the unspoken question that Peter poses him. When Peter points to the tree, he said, look, that tree you cursed yesterday is, is dried up from the roots. It's dead. The implied question is, how did you do that? Or how did this take place? And Jesus credits faith as being the source that removed the unfruitful circumstance in his life. Now, folks, if faith will work on a tree, why wouldn't faith work on anything? Why wouldn't faith work on everything? Jesus answers the question. Jesus could very simply have smiled at Peter, given no explanation whatsoever, and the church world forever would have thought that that happened. This event took place because of Jesus being the Son of God. But he doesn't. He tells Peter, as well as us, to have the faith of God. He doesn't use this as an opportunity, and a perfect opportunity if he wanted to take it. He doesn't use this as an opportunity to tell them that he is the Messiah. That these things happen because of who he is and his relationship with God. But rather, in fact, he tells them, here's how you can make this happen. Have the faith of God. Then he identifies what that faith does. For verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. Now, folks, since he's not just talking about trees, since he uses another example, something that's bigger than the tree that is now dead, he's showing us that this is a principle. He's identifying that this is a principle that will work on everything. It works on trees. It will even work on mountains. Now, no matter what situation we're in, folks, There's nothing that takes root in our life that's greater than this fig tree that carries more power against us than this fig tree. There's certainly nothing bigger in our lives than the mountain he points to. And if it'll work on the mountain, if it'll work on the fig tree, it'll work on whatever's hindering you and me. Jesus goes on to explain how faith works in prayer. Notice there's not an indication or any hint of prayer in verse 23. So in verse 24, he said, Therefore I say unto you, what things soever you desire. When you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. Notice that again. What things soever you desire. He doesn't even say whatsoever things you absolutely have to have. Here's how it works. He said whatever you desire. 
Folks, God must not be just interested in meeting our needs, but taking care of our desires too. If he's not, why did he show us how to get them? Why did he show us the truth, the key to how to receive the things you desire in your life? That's like some people that argue against the so-called prosperity message. I don't really believe there is a prosperity message, folks. I believe the truth of the word that it will prosper you in whatever you put your hand to. But some people will say, oh, that prosperity message, those people that are claiming money, trying to get God to meet their every whim financially. Folks, prosperity is just success. And if God didn't want us to succeed, why did he tell Joshua the, the way to success? Joshua 1.8 again. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth. Notice the way to success has something to do with what you say. Folks, we really should say it this way. Success has everything to do with what you say. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that's written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous. Notice it's the presence of the word of God. It's the spoken word, the word spoken from your lips that make your way prosperous. And then thou shalt have good success. He gave you a surefire way to obtain success in your life. Well, by the same token, again, verse 24, why would he tell us how to receive things that we desire if he didn't want us to have our desires met? Now, again, it comes back to the verses we quoted before and read in Isaiah chapter 15, verses 7 and 8, if you abide in me and my word abides in you. How can we make the word abide in us? By speaking it. By speaking it. The word abiding in us is the same as meditating in the word. If you abide in me, he's talking about relationship. You can't get a closer relationship than the one we have by being born into the family of God. If you abide in me and my words abide in you. So he's saying if you're a child of God who speaks the word of God. You shall ask what you will. That word ask is sometimes misinterpreted to, uh, or many people believe just by the way it's written in the scripture, the way it's translated. That it's talking about begging God for something or inquiring of God for something, but it's not. The word ask means to call for or require. It means to put a demand on something. Now, folks, if you've got a checking account, every time you write a check, you're placing a demand on the bank. Who's handling the funds in your account? When we use the word demand, it conjures up in a lot of people's thinking that they're being arrogant or trying to demand something of God that God doesn't want to do. 
but it's very much like placing a demand on the bank to pay funds that you have already put in your account. When we call for or require things on this earth, we're placing a demand on what Jesus has already delivered unto us and for our benefit. So if you abide in me and my word abides in you, Jesus said, you shall ask, call for, require, or demand in my name, and it shall be done unto you. Verse 8 says God's glorified by that. Now, why is God glorified by us bearing fruit? Why is God glorified by us receiving the things that we will? Because it's the operation of faith. Speaking the word of God is the operation of faith. And without faith, it's impossible to please him. God is pleased when your faith works. He sent his word for a specific purpose. And that is so that we could act on it. So that we could speak it. And receive what all, receive all the things Jesus has done for us. Turn with me to the Old Testament in Numbers chapter 14. Numbers chapter 14. Let me set the stage for you. In the 13th chapter, Moses sends the 12 spies into the, uh, the land of Canaan, into the promised land. He tells them to spy out the land and find out what's there. It shouldn't be any surprise to them to find the people that were there because God told them from the beginning before they ever left Egypt the land that he was taking them to and who inhabited or dwelt in that land. So the 12 spies go into the, the promised land, find that it's a land flowing with milk and honey. But they're concerned about the people that live there. And so 10 of them say the people are too strong for us. We can't take the land. Two of them, Caleb and Joshua, say, of course we can take the land. God's on our side. Don't you remember what he did to Pharaoh when we came out of Egypt? Don't you remember how Pharaoh's army drowned in the Red Sea when it parted for us to go over on dry land? But the congregation these millions of people that came out of Egypt with signs and wonders. This congregation sides in with the majority report. Folks, the majority report is very rarely right in, in spiritual things. See, the devil would want you to think that you're some kind of aberration. He would want you to think that you're the oddball. For saying what God's word says when the doctor contradicts it. He wants you to think that you're the oddball for speaking abundance when you don't have anything in your pocket. He wants you to think that you're the one that's operating in fallacies for accepting God's word to be more true in your life than the things you can see and feel. So the congregation lifted up their voice and cried all night. Caleb and Joshua try again to stop them 
from rebelling against God. They try to encourage them and say, since God's on our side, their defenses have departed from them. But it comes, to, it comes down to the place where the children of Israel are speaking against Moses, threatening Moses. And God intervenes and says, Moses, stand back. I'm going to wipe out these people and start over with you. Now, folks, I don't know how you read that. But that's pretty heady stuff. For God to say, forget about these descendants of Abraham. Let's get rid of them and start afresh. I'll start with you, Moses. You'll be the forerunner of this new people. Moses declines. Moses said, Lord, you can't do that. The Egyptians will hear about it, and all the enemies of Israel will hear about it and think you weren't strong enough to bring us into the promised land. So Israel avoids destruction. But notice in verse 20, here's, here's the point where God says, I'll stick with them, the children of Abraham. The Lord said, I have pardoned according to thy word. But as truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. Folks, notice what this is saying. It seems a little bit out of place. But God is saying no matter who rebels, no matter who forfeits the things of God in their life, no matter what circumstances occur, no matter what's done politically or between nations, the glory of the Lord shall fill all the earth. What's big enough to stop something that God said will be done? That's not what the devil tells us though, is it? But as truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. Notice that phrase, as truly as I live. Keep that in mind. We'll see that again in a minute. Because all those men which have seen my glory and my miracles, which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness, and have tempted me now these ten times, the ten spies, and have not hearkened to my voice, surely they shall not see the land which I swear unto their fathers, neither shall any of them that provoked me see it. But my servant Caleb, because he had another spirit with him and has followed me fully, him will I bring into this land whereunto he went and his seed shall possess it. Skip down to verse 28. Here's God's instruction to Moses. Say unto them, as truly as I live. We saw that phrase before, didn't we? As truly as I live. Now this is a phrase that doesn't translate very well into the English it's God swearing by himself as truly as I live literally means it's the oracle of God what is the oracle of God well the oracle of God is the truth the statement the declaration that he makes but notice what it's connected to see the truly part has to do with the oracle of God, has to do with the command of God. But notice he attached that to his life, as truly as I live. Well, how does God live? We know for certain that he lives eternally. 
we also know that God never changes. He said of himself, I am God, I change not. So when you see this phrase, as truly as I live, God is saying it is an unchanging, eternal law of God. Well, what's unchanging and eternal? Well, two things we've just seen in these few verses. He said it's unchanging, it's eternal, it's an absolute that the glory of the Lord shall fill all the earth. Folks, we couldn't stop that if we tried. Another absolute unchanging principle is what he says here in verse 28. As truly as I live, saith the Lord, as you have spoken in my ears, so shall I do unto you. So shall I do unto you. As you have spoken in my ears, so shall I do unto you. Now, folks, if that's true, and it is, But if that's true, that means everything we have is a result of what we've been saying. And Jesus talked about the principle of believing in your heart and speaking with your mouth. He called that the faith of God. He tells us that our words can change anything and everything in our life. Have you ever noticed in in Mark chapter 11... Verse 23, that great scripture of faith that we just read a minute ago. Have you ever noticed that saying is in that verse a lot more than believing? Jesus said, whosoever shall say, there's one time for say, unto this mountain be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart but shall believe. There's one time for say, one time for believe but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. Say is in that verse three times and believe is in there once. Now, you know where most people work on the the faith part? They work on the believing side. There's a lot of teaching about believing. But the real emphasis is on the speaking The greatest emphasis is on what you say. Notice again verse 28 of Numbers 14. As truly as I live, saith the Lord, as they have spoken in my ears, so shall I do unto you. Doesn't say anything about believing there, does it? Now we know the principle. Jesus told us in Matthew chapter 12, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So the things that we say are the things that we believe. But the principle is simply this. We should focus on what we say three times more than what we believe. That's why watering the word is so important. That's why meditating in the word is so important. Because the more we say, the more it solidifies and cements in our hearts the truth of what God said. Remember what I told you about Brother Hagin's counterattack? It came down to what he said. He didn't have to change his believing. 
He didn't have to alter his believing in any way whatsoever. He just made an adjustment on what he said. And the counterattack of the enemy was defeated. If Jesus appears right here in front of us, we saw him with our physical eyes open. And if he said to every one of us, to this church body, from this point forward, you can have whatever you say, how would that change your life? I dare say it would change all of us. Well, folks, if Jesus appeared and told us in person, it wouldn't make it any more true than what he's already told us. And what he's already told us is very simply this. You can have whatever you say. Have you ever noticed the devil really doesn't attack the believing part? But he sure does attack the saying part. You know why that is? Because the saying part is the important part. The word of God brings us information, brings us knowledge for what we can believe. But it's this word spoken from our lips that changes things in our lives. Simple truth, but absolute truth. It's the oracle of God. It's the unchanging, eternal principle God will do unto us as we have spoken in his ears. Folks, you can change anything. You can change everything. There is no limit to the power of the word of God to change things in your life. None whatsoever. We can't even get close to exhausting the power of God's word to bring to pass everything that he said was ours. As truly as I live, saith the Lord, as you have spoken in my ears, so shall I do unto you. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that it is, it is the power of God unto salvation. It's the power of God that rescues us. It's the power of God that delivers us. It's the power of God that heals us. It's the power of God that provides for us. It's the power of God unto us. Father, we thank you that you have given us authority here on this earth. Authority that is exercised through the spoken words. Authority that is exercised by us as we see what your word tells us is ours through Christ Jesus. But it's still up to us, Father, to speak the word and exercise that authority that you've given us. Satan, we serve notice on you. No matter what things look like in our lives, no matter what the circumstances tell us, no matter what hindrances or obstacles might be in our way, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. 
we have the opportunity, the right to speak God's word and to destroy every work that you've done in our lives. We say that we are the healed of Christ Jesus. We say that we are redeemed by the blood of Jesus. We say that all of our needs are met according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. We say that your power is broken in the precious and holy name of Jesus. We speak God's word. We speak God's word. Thank you, Father, that we do abide in you and your word abides in us. And as such, we have whatever we desire. Let that bring glory to you, Lord Jesus. Let that bring glory to you as the power of God's word becomes a reality in our lives. We worship you, Father. We thank you so much for your goodness. We thank you for your great love for us. We thank you, Father, for all that you've done. The wonderful, great plan of redemption whereby an exchange was made. Jesus became sin for us. We became the righteousness of God in him. Thank you, Father. And we condemn every tongue that rises against us because that's a part of our inheritance. And we say that our righteousness is of God. We bless you, Father. We thank you for restoring our health and healing our wounds. We thank you for lifting the burden off our shoulders and taking the yoke off our neck. And that yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. We thank you, Father, for all that's been done for us through Jesus. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's all stand. The devil doesn't have enough power to keep the word of God from coming to reality in your lives. He wants you to think he does, but he does not. He cannot stop that which we speak from coming to pass. We serve a good God. We serve a good God. Say it with me. The Lord is good, good. and his mercy endures forever. Amen. Go and speak God's word. Amen. Have a great day.